Welcome okay. back to Nota Bene. Welcome We're finally back, back here. Nate is down somewhere in downtown. an undisclosed location downtown in a very large office tower. Um, we don't want to speak too much about it. It's dangerous. And he's recently back from a weekend upstate attending the Dia Gala. What was happening at the gala that, I, for my money, is one of the nicest and the best time because it's a lunch event? Well, what was kind of fucked was that our dogs had rebelled the last last minute. So I had to just sort of hang outside with an enormous Rhodesian Ridgeback watching, like, fucking, you know, Melvin Edwards roll up with his posse and fucking, you know, like... Fred Eversley rolls up, and they're all just like, 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 walk, watch me, like, walk my dog across the fucking lawn in front of Dia, and then Sophie Cohen comes up and it's like, what the fuck is up with this dog? And then finally, Matthew Barney comes up in a fucking beater. This guy's got like a beat up, enormous Ford, just like does not give a fuck. And he just drove it up from the city, and he was just like, what the fuck's up with your dog, man? And I was like, don't ask about it. I'll, I'll, I'll see you later. Then the dog fucking sitter finally shows up in Beacon, driving all the way from Newburgh takes the dog and I go inside and enjoy the gala, which is very nice. What happened to the babysitter? Did you have a babysitter? Or did you bring the baby to the gala? We, we brought the baby to the gala. The baby wasn't the problem. It was the dog. Was the Everyone problem. loves a baby at a gala. Everyone loves a baby at a gala. I know. Ba- baby's fine. You can't bring a dog to the gala. No, that's weird. Not, not a, that's weird. Yeah. So mm-hmm. when you say a beat up but Ford, is, is Matthew Barney rocking a pickup truck? I see him in an, as an F-150 guy. It's not a pickup truck, but it's just like an enormous fucking Ford. It, it, like it had like, it's like a gigantic, like, you know, like uber black but like a shittier one like it's just like a huge car but like had scratches on it, it was beat up it was so rock and roll well you got it somewhere to put all that football equipment i love that and uh who are they, they were were they honoring melvin who is the honoree at this year's dia beacon gala um melvin was one of the honorees as well as uh uh oh man I, i'm blanking on it but like it, it, i think there are a few others. Well, listen, it was, it, was a, it, was, it was an event at the end of a long week, and we started off the week with a bang, hosting the first ever Nota Bene dinner, hosted by the glorious edition in Times Square. Beautiful hotel, beautiful meal, kind of a funky location. It was weird walking past, <laughs> you know, drunken uh, Disney characters on the way into our very chic and fancy event. Uh, that was exactly. pretty fun, right? Oh, it was really fun to walk by the Naked Cowboy and then go into the glorious wonderfully smelling addition hotel they, they all smell the same all the additions so yeah it's, they, it's they, they pump some sort of uh, endocrine destabilizers in there to make it smell real nice uh, so you don't smell the um the perverted cookie monster from the terrace there where we had our dinner um it was 30 yeah. of our nearest and dearest i'm sorry you weren't invited we'll definitely get you next time um mm-hmm. but we had some great people there and I, most of them were photographed so i think it's okay to talk about them uh, i know usually it, wouldn't but you yeah know, you, we hate, we hate <laughs> there's anything this podcast hates is to drop a name um <laughs> <laughs> so so uh we, we we had to split ourselves amongst three tables at my table i had uh rashid johnson his wife sharif sepian uh both fantastic artists my wife of course annie burns joel messler sandy heller um, I'm leaving out people. You were locking it down with uh, with uh, with some of the greats over on the other side of the building. Who'd you have? Uh, who'd you have whining and dining with you? I believe I saw your your wife, the artist Lucy Charlesworth Freeman, was in attendance. Uh, you had Joe Messer, uh, who has a show up at Fifty Six Henry. Mm-hmm. Gallerist Ellie Rhines was there. Stefania Bordalami, who was one of our first ever guests on the pod, was there. Um, who else were you? I think she's our second guest. But- what was sick was um, my wife had this ingenious idea to to 
not only have name cards for everyone, of course, but to bring pens, uh, uh, you know, from every like different hotels and restaurants around the world. And I, I don't mean to brag, Benjamin, but I, I think I have the greatest pen collection in the world. Like I've been collecting pens from the fanciest fucking places on planet Earth for twenty years or so. And property I took a bunch of a great... doubles for my collection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, pro- I, and I gave them out. I wanted I wanted every pen to really sort of feel appropriate for each person. So, you know, Joel Messler, he got the Beverly Hills Hotel, as that's factored into a number of his artworks. Um, the director of Art Basel, Noah Horowitz, got, of course, the Three Kings. Um, and what was another fun pairing? Um, there were some good ones. Recall? I actually forget which one I had, but I was very, very happy with it. Um, yeah, Noah was there, the head of Art Basel. Uh, Christine Massinio was in attendance, uh, mm-hmm. who obviously the director of the Fair of the Week, Freeze, here in the Americas. Um, it was kind of a pretty notable crowd. I think one of the one of the smart things about having those pens and the big name cards was I collected a bunch of very nice drawings from some of our artist friends who are in attendance. Mm-hmm. Uh, at my table, in addition to Stefania Bordolami uh, and my wife, Lucy, there was Joe Messer, who has a great show up at 5600, I think we mentioned it before. She took the name tag and just started making a little portrait of me with a martini and a tie. And it's fantastic. It's great. It's already up on the walls. Yeah, Rashid and Joel hooked me up, uh, blessed me, I should say. was in very nice drawings. So, you know, check an eBay near you, um, and you can maybe yeah, grab Yeah, eBay your or Phillips, day sale. Yeah, I mean, they, they're they thirsty for property. Um, and they will be, especially after this week, we'll get into that in a second. Yeah, it was a super fun night. And listen, genuinely, I am sorry. There are a bunch of key people of the podcast that we, we just, uh, the list wasn't fully in our control. But we are, I think, going to do a couple of dinners like this going forward this year at some different uh, Art World events. I'm thinking London. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking LA. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking maybe yep. Miami. Like, it's going to be, yep. it's going to be, this was just, this was just the tester. You you missed the, you missed the practice round. When we're really up to speed. Yeah, you missed the practice round. Yeah, and I'm yeah, talking to you, round. listener. Yeah, but next time, even better. Um, so the, um, so the, where did the week proceed, proceed from there? You know, it, it was it was an absolute shit show for me, running all over the place between fairs and auctions. And I guess we we shouldn't bury the lead. The art market it's a little bit softer right now than it was in 2021. The Fed turned off the spigot. Money is no longer free, and things are not flying off the shelves. Yeah, I mean, the art market is tanked. We're still standing. We're still going. Hey, hey, hey. Let's stay away from inflammatory and, and, and words like tanked. I mean, that could send markets a tumbling. Like, you know, with the great power we have comes great responsibility to use That's responsible true. language. It's softened. I think what we found, we found mark to market. We found what things are actually worth on the secondary market. I think people were living in a fantasy world thinking everything was worth two and a half times X what they paid for it for every single thing in their collection. That's just not the case. And honestly, listen, if you're collecting in the way that you should be, you're worried about what prices for things are in 30 years, not tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, gotcha. But it, it, it was ugly out there. We'll say it was ugly. I won't say a tank, but it was ugly. It didn't feel good in the rooms. Um, we saw a lot of things be eyeing that would have had multiple bids in the past. A lot of this was driven, in my view, by consigners, uh, meaning people that were giving property to auction houses that had unrealistic expectations and push those auction houses to have way too high an estimate on things. We had a not-so-desirable Guyton priced at 1.2 to 1.8. The correct estimate for that work, in my view, was closer to 
eight to one two maximum. Uh, we had mm-hmm. Laura Owens at one five to two that bi'd. Uh, the Guyton was withdrawn, I mm-hmm. should say. The Laura Owens at one five to two. That painting, the right estimate is one to one five. It would have found a bidder somewhere by the low there, I would think. And then the biggest um, uh, failure of, uh, in my view, of the season of the markets that I'm most concerned with was a Nara that Sotheby's withdrew just before yes. the sale. They couldn't find a bid, often extravagant, and I would say somewhat insane estimate of 12 to $15 million. Mm-hmm. So consignors, yeah. if you want to sell something, listen to the auction house, set a nice low estimate. It will move. We saw in the day sales, you could like literally see it in the day sales because they list where the bids start. Uh, for the online bidders uh, before the sale and people they just crush the reserve prices they're willing to sell things at so we're able to keep the the sell-through rates relatively high and if you're like me i went i went bargain shopping baby it was like century 21 up in those day sales i was getting <laughs> brand names for less and i was happy wow. to do it because in 20 years i think some of the choices we made at pennies on the dollar uh, will prove to see pr- prove to be prescient both in terms of their financial value and their art historical import. So I'm pumped on that. I think like uh you know there's anytime anytime prices soften up, there's tons of possibility, tons of opportunity out there. And you know if you have the cojones to be greedy in a fear when others are fearful, like you're set up for success. That's a great point, actually. You know, like there's a long history of people taking advantage of soft points in the market to make incredible buys now's the time and i mean the interesting thing was when we're talking about softness things were selling for huge prices and it wasn't that the market was soft across the board it was that collectors were being very very picky about what they would bid on and would be willing to bid incredible sums of number and go numbers and go way high into and above the estimates for the right things if they felt that they were truly special once-in-a-lifetime opportunities to acquire something by that artist or a specific type of painting or body of work by that artist. It was just the kind of everyday stuff that they felt like, you know what, if I say no now, I might be able to find a comparable thing or the same thing down the line. There isn't that urgency. So people aren't stretching, Mm -hmm. and the market is really exhibiting um, some degree, I wouldn't even say connoisseurship, but selectivity uh, in what it's going for. And I think that that is the sign of a healthy and not an overinflated market. I think maybe we were in a little bit of irrational exuberance beforehand. And now the exuberance that exists, pretty rational in my mind. You'd love to see it. Love to see it. Love to see it. Stand around for the market king. Yeah, we will live to fight another day. Uh, I think it'll be interesting what happens over in Europe uh, in just several weeks. I'm excited. We'll get to that down the road. We have podcasts upon podcasts uh, to get into that. Um, the other reason for the season, in addition to the secondary market auctions, were several fairs. We covered TAFAF, uh and Independent previously, but Freeze open this week. That's why we had the dinner. That's why everyone was in town, the Europeans that were mm-hmm. here. Um, what were your impressions of the fair in Cursed Hudson Yards? Uh, sick gazpacho. Yeah, that, that's my thing. Yeah, the best in show was the gazpacho from friend of the pod, Jose Andres, and his um whatever he calls his market there. I'm also a big fan, not just of the gazpacho, but also the little baguette with a little bit of serrano ham and some oh, Diego, and then the, yeah. kind of they rub yeah. the tomato on there, so it's like tomato water mm-hmm. on the bread. Um, mm-hmm. Heavenly, really. Heavenly, heavenly I dish. I dragged friends of the pod, uh, Michael Woodsmall and Casper Jopling, right over to Little Spain to get our gazpachos highlight of the day just just really heavenly uh you know Massimiliano Cicilia were there as you mentioned friend of the pod Meredith Dario was was there just munching down on some sandwiches sipping on very cold very very great gazpacho um they also had non-alcoholic Estella beer uh 
two thumbs way Jesus up. Jesus Christ, that's amazing. I, mean, I didn't know that existed. If I didn't dislike going to Hudson Yards so much, I would go there more than <laughs> once a year. But I guess once a year is enough. Uh, but it's a special meal. Not, I will say, not inexpensive. Um, so that was a culinary highlight of the fair. I want to say that wasn't the reason I was there, but we'll pretend that it wasn't the reason I was there, right? The fair itself, it looked okay. I mean, it's a it's a very nice venue for a very bite-sized um, uh, style of fair. The light cascades in. You get all the right people. It was, it was, for me, too crowded at the VIP hour. Considering the amount of hoops they made you jump through in order to register your phone, have individual tickets, and blah, 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 blah. Like, even at the 10 a.m. first VIP hour, um, it was a little bit crowded for my taste. Yeah. Well, it was, it was packed, but I think that's what Freeze wants. They want it to be the zeitgeist moment. You saw that in London and in, in, in L.A. the last two times. They want people in there. They want bodies. They, they're not really scared of, of handing out tickets if they think that it'll make it sort of a real sort of scene in there, a real moment. But because the shed is not that large, it does make it sort of difficult to see the artwork sometimes. I guess. Yeah, not to see, just to, just to get around, but it's fine. It's an art fair. It's it's not a fucking museum. Um, you know, I think much like the auctions, the things that were considered considered best in class were finding buyers without too much of a problem. Uh, especially young stuff that seemed like it might be really new and fresh. Um, you know, galleries like Lomax, Chateau, Chateau, both had great presentations that fit that mm. bill. Um, chapter, totally. I believe. Um, you know, and things like the Jack Whitten booth of really special paintings at Hauser and Worth. Um you know, uh, blew, blew, blew the roof off and those were all moving. I think in the middle of the market, things were a little bit slower, um, was my sense. Um, you know, you never can tell, but it didn't feel, it, it didn't feel like a bizarre. The only thing people were actually lining up for, literally lining up for, uh, was to uh, reserve editions uh, of the Artist Plate Project, which is a project that uh, Michelle Cohen Hellman mm -hmm. Uh, does uh, selling these great artist design plates uh, with the proceeds of which go to Coalition for the Homeless. They've sold out like half of those editions. People were going nuts for them. Literally, there was like a line of like 30 VIPs when I walked in the door right at 10. Uh, and I know like plates by, mm -hmm. the, by the likes of Cause and Virgil Abloh, Virgil Abloh and Rashid Johnson uh, all were sold out um, within moments. They look cool. The plates were cool. The plates are cool. cool. I, you know, I have a set from the first edition that we've never used because they're two hundred fifty dollars each. Like, what if I like break a plate? Um, okay. Poor people on. problem. Once a year, you should break out the, the fun cosplay. You got a cosplay? I didn't get a cosplay. I, do, I know I have some Nate. I forget what I have exactly. I know I have a couple Nate Lomans. I did two by three different artists for a place setting for six. Um, you should, I for, you should I get the cosmos for your kids. They can eat off the cosmos. My kids are more sophisticated than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Speaking speaking of me not going to overspend, uh, I think uh, it's important as an art advisor or a functionary within the art world to be real clear not to try and spend money the way you see your clients spending money. Um. It's really easy, and I can say, I'd say this from like a real genuine place from experience. It's really easy to get caught up in being around people that can drop a thousand dollars on dinner. Uh. They can charter yeah. an airplane. Uh, they can have a car and driver on call. They can rent a $25,000 a month apartment. Um, they can fly only first class, not just business, first class. Um, and we've seen this time and time again uh, in the art world catch up to people because eventually you realize you're just not making enough money on that 10% of the rich people's commissions to actually live a lifestyle comparable to theirs. And sadly, it did catch up with a friend of ours, uh, it seems like, allegedly, uh, Lisa Schiff, uh, the art advisor, in the past few weeks. Have you read about any of this, Nate Freeman? I, I have. I have read about this with with great interest. Um, 
we've discussed this before, as you said, there's no way that an art advisor could be, you know, living at that level. It's just, it's just not how you do it. I mean, you know, Ralph uh, DeLuca, when he came on the podcast, he made that point, I think, very clearly. He was like, my clients are fucking rich. They're rich, rich. Like, I do okay. I'm not them. I don't live like them. But, you know, Lisa, you know, she opened a gallery. You know, she, like, fully staffed it. She had dinners and events in the Jenga building where she lived. It was just a, an over-the-top lifestyle. And it was funded by, allegedly, you know, artworks that weren't paid for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was something, you know, I always saw her lifestyle. And I was like, wow, I didn't get it. It didn't add up to me, but it actually made me feel as though, what am I doing wrong? She's making, it seems like she's making so much more money than I, and I'm not complaining at all. Like I'm really happy uh, and really blessed with where I am in life, but I would be like, it was kind of like, oh, do I need to be doing something more? What am I doing wrong or not as well as her? And it turns out allegedly that she just, you know, was was skimming money from clients. It was a little weird. Most of her clients, it seemed like paid through her. So they would pay her uh, the full cost of an artwork plus her advisory fee. It's a, a usually 10%. And then she would pass through that payment to the galleries. Um, mm -hmm. Most people I know, myself included, unless it's a secondary market deal or something else we were trying to uh, hide the identity of the buyer for their own privacy reasons, usually have them pay the gallery direct you directly and you yeah. send a separate invoice. It's way cleaner for like tax and accounting reasons. Um, so that seems a little strange. I think if your art advisor is asking you to pay through them, you should maybe um, call me instead. Oh, cool. Well, yeah, listen, okay. hey, right, you know, it's a soft market, right. man. I, I got to get the promos out there any way I can. Um, you know, as special terms and conditions apply. You need to be worth a certain amount of money. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, I, I, but I do find it genuinely sad because you know, I, you know, I, yes. I knew Lisa socially. She was always nothing but nice. She had a genuine enthusiasm and love for the art world, and it seems like things, as often as the case for people or embezzlers, just got out of control. Always, I'm sure she thought with the next big deal she could make it all right and get back to even. Um, and that right. deal just never really, um, ever, ever comes up. It's never going to be enough. Um, so it's best not to start digging that hole in the first place. Obviously, we'll see what happens. You know. More broadly, it's just bad because it's another case of uh, something that destabilizes trust in the art market um, and could eventually lead, uh, I think, along with some other things that have happened, criminal and otherwise, to less transparency and more regulation into our wonderful wild, wild west that is what makes this fucking art that. market so fun. We don't want that. We don't want that. We don't keep, we don't want jo that. keep Johnny Law out of here. Keep Uncle Sam the heck out of my books. Nope. Go Yeehaw. away, Washington. Go away. Go away. Texas, um, I love yes, you guys. Uh, bang, bang. <laughs> exactly. We're just going to keep it that way. We're going to keep it Texas in the art world. Um, but yeah, it's sad. I heard that she's been out and about still, though, and like, you know, kind of just like taking it with stride, which is kind of insane. The business apparently is shut down. She filed for bankruptcy, but she's not staying in. I'm going to hear. I have not heard the same thing. And, uh, but, mm. but maybe your sources are better than me. I, you know, I, I have some privileged information that I'm not going to go into, but I don't think she's been seen out and about. Um, okay. Where have you, where would you hear she was seen? Let's... Um, if my source is to be believed, she was seen uh, somewhere in the vicinity of. I should have had this little. little... I just on on East Broadway apparently. Huh. Okay. All right. The difference from yeah. my information, but I don't know. Neither of us know. We're just going on gossip yeah, here. I don't know. Innuendo. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm surprised that this hasn't it hasn't hit the popular press too much. There was a small piece in yesterday's page six, um, 
which didn't list her as Leonardo. I always thought the headline would be Leonardo DiCaprio as our advisor, and it wasn't that. His people on retainer must just be exceptional at their fucking jobs. Um, in charity news, in addition to the gala scene, uh, which I know you're always all over, there was a great charity online auction hosted by Post by Pace, excuse me, uh, that took place yesterday. Uh, a bunch of artists, uh, Julie Moretu, um, Adam Pendleton, Rashid Johnson, and I know a couple others that I am forgetting uh, are all involved in this thing where they bought Nina Simone's childhood home and are turning it into a museum. So those artists, as well as several others, including Anika Yee, uh, all gave artwork to an online auction that Sotheby's hosted in association with Pace. And that was pretty cool. There's some great, great works there. Great Mary Weatherford. Um, that all sold yesterday. It raised a butt ton of money. And then coming up, uh, I guess this is next week, Thursday, June the 1st, uh, an event that's near and dear to both of our hearts is the annual White Columns auction that I believe we're both on the benefit committee of, if memory serves me correctly. 100%. It was a, a very, very, it's a very cool list. There's some great work in the auction. Uh, go to whitecolumns.org, I guess. I'm just making that up, but I'm pretty sure that's correct uh, to find the website. Google White Columns. Buy tickets. It's going to be a super fun party. Both Nate and I will be there, I think. Uh, I'm planning on it, and uh, it's going to be a blast, and uh, hopefully you can score some awesome, awesome work and support a great cause. I think that's all that I have in my little list of uh, items for discussion this week. Out.